Hello there. Welcome once again to the Little White Cabin's listening series, A New York Yankee in the Heart of Dixie. I'm your host, Oscar Bronx, and as you know, I'm back in the Big Apple on a grand quest to, um, let's see, to what? To see if I can forgive my psycho mother for making me dread Mother's Day, I guess you could say. Anyway, you heard the last couple of episodes, you know the deal. So, what happened on my second day of visiting my mother at the nursing home? Well, we actually got some kind of response, so there may be some hope that she'll be lucid enough for a conversation in a day or two, so I guess that counts on the plus side. We'll see. My old buddy, Dr. Jerry, showed up this morning as promised, and he gave my mother a fairly extensive checkup, adjusted the medications so she can come out of this sedated state they have her in, thanks to the fact that she's a troublemaker and tried to stab someone with a pair of scissors a while back. I also talked with the director and uh, some of the staff, and we came to, how shall I say, an agreeable deal where her restraints can be removed and somebody can watch over her. The lady she shares a room with, Mrs. Little, I told you about her yesterday, she said that my mother keeps her up at night because, even sedated, she struggles against the restraints and has these, I don't know, dreams or hallucinations where she says all kinds of weird things. Anyway... Dr. Jerry said, and I agree, that it'd be best if she can come out of her sedated state nice and easy, so I wasn't expecting too much today. I talked to her, hoping my voice might help orient her, and I brought up Hans and Lenny and Laura, Plato, a few other things she might remember. No reaction to any of that, though. Sometimes she'd open her eyes and kind of stare into space like she was awake, if not quite alert. I try to put my face in her line of vision, you know, give her a little wave, hey ma, it's me, Oscar, but she wouldn't focus on me. The only thing she seemed to respond to at all for most of the day was the music box. A couple of times I played it, it looked as if she recognized the chimes somehow. Her face got kind of twisted, distressed, as if the sound hurt, so I only did it a few times. Now, this place doesn't allow visitors after a certain time, and I had no desire to spend the night there anyway, so I was about to leave, just having a conversation with Mrs. Little. I'm sitting on a chair facing Mrs. Little, and my mother's on the bed behind me. And Mrs. Little's a big fan of music boxes, so I'm letting her look at my mother's, and she asks if she can play it, so I say, sure, why not? And she cranks it up and plays it, and she says to me, you seem like a nice guy, Oscar. Are you sure you weren't adopted? You know, a joke, right? And she looks toward me, and all of a sudden she lets out this, like, scream of fright. And from right behind me, I hear my mother say, He was born to a woman named Falco. And I spin around, and there she is, standing there, out of bed, with this furious, how dare you mock me look on her face. But suddenly, her eyes kind of go glazed, and she seems to lose her balance, so I stand and take her by the shoulders and lower her back onto her bed. Just then, Dr. Jerry comes back in and says we should give her a break and get back at it tomorrow, and anyway, visitation time was over for the day. I guess I was glad to see that she had some of her old energy and alertness left, even though what she said, he was born to a woman named Falco, wasn't exactly what you might be thinking. In fact, it had a very specific meaning. Let me tell you that story. Okay. Last night, I told you about the Queen of Hearts debacle. That happened in 1974 when I was 11 years old. 
and it changed things for us. No more auditions, no more engagement with what we call the bitch of Broadway, unless it was destructive. The Falco Five concentrated on street theater, guerrilla theater, a lot of times performed at protest marches and whatnot, anything to get Falco some exposure and to blow off some steam. But mostly we put on shows at Falco's Playhouse. Now, I don't think I've described the place where we lived and worked very well yet. We lived in one of those run-down neighborhoods with burned-out, abandoned, condemned buildings populated by rats and riffraff and the Falco Five. I didn't know this then, but the building we lived in had once been a mental asylum a long time ago. I know, fitting, right? Anyway, we lived in a large apartment on the second floor. The first floor had a storefront that was usually occupied by a methadone clinic or other substance abuse treatment place and sometimes just a shooting gallery for heroin junkies and brown bag hangout for winos. But the back part of the building had a large open room, almost like a small warehouse, that we built out with a stage and lighting and chairs for an audience, and we called it Falco's Playhouse, and that's where we put on the plays that Hans wrote as quote-unquote star vehicles for my mother. Despite their rage against the bitch of Broadway, the Falco Five dreamed of attracting some famous critic or a director who would come to a show and get blinded by the light of my mother's star power and then do their penance by rolling out a red carpet straight from Falco's Playhouse to a Broadway theater. Of course, that didn't happen. Nobody wanted to risk getting mugged to see a play in some dank warehouse in a rough section of town. In fact, as time wore on, the city went from bad to worse in terms of muggings, arsons, and all that, until between the summers of 1976 and 1977, when New York City got hit by a crime wave that attracted worldwide attention. Son of Sam. Remember that? Now that's not what he was known as at first. At first they call him the 44 caliber killer. And then in 1977 he started writing letters to the cops and the press and based on those, he became known as the Son of Sam. So what's that got to do with me and my mother? Well, after my complete and total humiliation in the Queen of Hearts debacle at the tender age of 11, I started having revenge fantasies to get back at her for all the humiliations and punishments and guilt-tripping I suffered. Those fantasies focused on those peer walks she took, wearing her other mother costume, when I'd have to go get her back. I imagined myself climbing up on the railing, and instead of being a lighthouse, I'd be a crane, and when she reached up to help me down, I'd pull her up and over the railing, and we'd both fall into the drink and drown. I didn't let on that I was having such thoughts, of course. I learned to wear my poker face. Inside, I was seething. And so when the whole Son of Sam thing came slithering into my world, I guess you could say I found myself kind of identifying with this mysterious, deadly threat that came and went like a ghost. My mother? She didn't care at all about Son of Sam crap. It was just background noise in her world where the only recognizable threat was whatever stood between her and fame. So one day, we're all there in the common room of our apartment, Falco and Hans, Lenny and Laura, me and Plato, and my mother's all pissed off, blaming the world and everyone in it for her latest failure. But mostly blaming me, 
and she's complaining that none of us ever comes up with any good ideas. So everybody's trying to come up with some new idea, you know. And my mother shushes them all, and she, she just she glares at me. And she says, this is why I brought you into this world, Oscar. My lucky charm. My oh-so-lucky charm. Okay, Oscar, it's your turn. What should we do? What's your plan? And that's when it hits me. You know, one of those rare moments in life, one of those eureka moments when a big piece of genius just falls into your head like Isaac Newton's apple. And I stare right back at her and I say, my plan is to catch Son of Sam. And they all just look at me like I'm crazy. And my mother says, are you mocking me? And I say, I'm totally serious. Think about it. He's like a ghost with a gun. Nobody knows who he is, where he comes from, where he goes. The cops have the biggest manhunt in the history of New York City going on, and they can't find him. He sends letters to the cops and the papers. Still, they can't find him. He's become a worldwide news story. If somebody, some civilian, not a cop, if somebody finds him, you know, captures him, that person would suddenly be the most famous person in the world. And if it was, oh, let's say, an actress named Falco, she'd be on the front page of every newspaper in the world, the cover of every magazine, every TV newscast. There'd probably be movies and plays written about her. Directors would be fighting each other to get her on stage. The bitch of Broadway would come crawling to her, begging for forgiveness for the years it ignored her. For a few seconds, nobody says anything. And Hans is looking from Falco to me and back again, as if he can't understand why she's not punishing me for my insolence, you know. But she's just staring at me, looking more intrigued than angry. And so Hans just starts bitching. Oh, come on, this is absurd. Can't you see he's mocking you? It's obvious. He's just a spoiled little brat, mouthing off like that. If the police can't catch Son of Sam, how can we? We're not detectives. But my mother doesn't take her eyes off me. She holds up her hand to make Hans shut up. And she says to me, How do we catch the son of Sam? And this, this, ladies and gentlemen, is when the second hunk of burning genius drops into my head. I say, All we have to do is figure out when and where he's going to strike next, and we go there and set a trap for him. Hans laughs like a maniac. And how are we going to figure that out, Einstein? How can we, an acting troupe, do what the best detectives in the world can't? So, I stand up. I walk to the closet. I open the closet door. I reach up on the shelf, and I pull down the Ouija board. Ha! Check and mate, Hans. See, I knew that my mother was superstitious, and Hans was a schemer. I had watched him over the years use this very Ouija board to convince my mother of things that no rational person would believe. And I had studied how he did it, you know, how he framed the questions and the way he manipulated that thing you slide across the board. I think they call it a planchette to find the letters and numbers. And in that moment, I knew I had him. He knew what I was up to, but he couldn't do anything about it because then... He'd be giving away his own game, and Falco would be on to him. So instead, he insists that he gets to have his fingers on the planchette, and I look at my mother and kind of shake my head, and she says, No, Hans, this will be just me 
and my lucky charm. And so Hans is biting his nails, and Lenny and Plato are looking on with great fascination, and poor Laura is curled up on the floor in a corner, whining and whimpering because she was absolutely scared to death of the son of Sam. So we begin. First I ask, where will the son of Sam hit next? And I guide the planchette to spell out the name of a park that's fairly nearby. Hans mutters, well, isn't that convenient? And my mother tells him to shut up. Then I ask, when will Son of Sam hit the park? And I guide the planchette to spell out a date in the near future. And finally, for the kicker, I ask, what will become of Falco if we catch Son of Sam? And I make the planchette spell out S-I-R-I-U-S. And I look at my mother like I don't know what it means. And she looks at Hans and asks, What does it mean, Hans? And Hans says, It's probably just a meaningless jumble of letters, a misspelling perhaps. And my mother snaps at him, What does it mean, Hans? And I say, I'll look it up. And Hans says, No, I just remembered. It's the name of a star. Just a little star in the night sky is all. One of a million just like it. But I had gotten the dictionary and I found Sirius, and I said, It's not just any old star, it's the brightest star in the sky. And I showed it to my mother. And my mother says, Lenny, hit Hans. And of course, Lenny doesn't hesitate, just pops him a good one right in the ribs, and Hans crashes to the floor, wheezing. And my mother gets this satisfied look on her face, and she says, Make it happen. And as she walks into a dressing room, she says, Finally, someone is thinking around here. <laughs> I mean, I'm laughing now, but don't get me wrong. Back then, what was actually going through my head was not funny at all. It was murder and suicide. It wasn't really catching Son of Sam so much as it was becoming Son of Sam. On the one hand, yes, I was being clever, coming up with an absurd plan that couldn't possibly work as a way to deliver, you know, a little payback to my mother. But in another part of my mind, that payback was very real. That part thought that I was really going to bait Son of Sam, this elusive demon, to come and shoot my mother, and me too, as we sat in a parked car in a nearby city park. At 14, 15 years old, I had become one sick little lucky charm. Anyway, here's the plan I came up with. Hans would procure a car. On the appointed night, we would drive to the place, park the car, in the lot under a streetlight. My mother and I would be sitting in the front seat. Lenny, Hans, and Plato would go hide in some bushes nearby. They'd have, like, a bat to knock the guy out with and a rope to tie him up with and some coins to call the cops from a nearby pay phone booth. Remember, this was way before cell phones. And when Son of Sam comes sneaking up to the car, Lenny and the others run in from the bushes, beat him up, tie him up, then call the cops. And when the cops get there, everybody praises Falco for masterminding it all. And from there, it's a straight shot on a red carpet up the great white way to thunderous applause and shouts of encore, encore. Now Hans, of course, objected to the very idea of my mother being one of the bait victims in the car. He wanted it to be Laura, who was in no emotional shape 
to be in the same borough as Son of Sam, never mind meeting him up close and personal. And failing that? Just me and Plato in the car with one of us wearing a wig. Getting both of us shot would have been a dream come true for Hans. But I insisted that only the great Falco could pull off this role, to which, of course, she agreed, which pissed off Hans even more. So everybody was into it, except for Laura, who had gone nearly catatonic in her phobia about Son of Sam, and Hans, whose hatred of me was exceeded only by his frustration that I had outsmarted him, and there wasn't a damn thing he could do about it except wait for my plan to fail and my punishment to begin. And so Falco insists that we rehearse, being that we're a drama troupe and all. So Hans gets the car and the rope, and we hire this junkie from the methadone clinic to play the part of Son of Sam, and we go to the park. We scope out the area, pick a parking spot, pick out the bushes that Lenny and the gang are going to hide in, find the payphone, and we have the junkie, a guy called Sonny Ray, practice walking up to the car from various directions. Then, as he pulls this squirt gun from his jacket, Lenny and Plato attack from the bushes, with Hans shuffling reluctantly behind. My mother and I are sitting in the car, and she's yelling out stage directions at everybody, and she's really getting into it. Of course, you know, Lenny, being Lenny, knocks the hell out of Sonny Ray with his bat, and Sonny Ray's got this huge goose egg on his head, and he threatens to call the cops on us for assault until Hans promises to double his payoff in junk and he agrees to continue the rehearsal. So finally, the big night comes. Opening night of the Falco Five's most ambitious production, you might say. We get in the car, we head off to the park. We park the car, and everybody takes their places. It's a warm August night, 1977. Lenny, Plato, and Hans are crouching in the bushes with the bat and the rope. Falco and I are in the front seat of the car, and we all just wait and watch. One of the reasons I chose this place was there's a disco down the street from the park, and Son of Sam was known to have an interest in hitting such places or people leaving clubs. So for a while, there's some foot traffic, but it dwindles and nobody approaches the car. And I realize this is the longest time I've ever spent in close proximity with my mother, just the two of us together. Sitting in a car is bait for a serial killer. My mother's got one of her costume wigs on since Son of Sam's female victims all seem to have the same kind of hair, you know, long brown parted in the middle. And I guess I've more than half convinced myself that it's really going to happen because I'm kind of tense, peering through the darkness at every passerby and every shadow that moves. My mother, on the other hand, is totally in character. That character, of course, being Falco, the world's greatest and most maltreated actress. So playing the role of innocent, oppressed victim is right up her alley. But as time passes, even the great Falco gets bored of acting. I mean, after all, her only audience is me. So she starts talking, complaining about how this director or that director made the fatal mistake of rejecting her, only to suffer bad reviews, low ticket sales, or whatever. On and on complaining about the bitch of Broadway and how Falco is going to get back at them all tomorrow once it hits the papers that she's captured son of Sam. Then she starts talking about what she's going to, what she's going to wear to the Tony Awards. I kid you not. 
and how she's going to tell the brutal truth in her acceptance speech and how it will so shock the audience with its perfect beauty and truth that they'll have to invent a new category of award, Best Acceptance Speech at a Tony Awards Show. At no time did we actually have a normal human conversation. At no time did she show any interest at all in me as a son, a teenager, a human being. I got so tired of it that I just allowed myself to fantasize about the son of Sam, not capturing him, being him. I'd say, look, Ma, he's here. And she looks out the window and says, where? And I pull out the 44 and I point it out ahead and I say, right here. Anyway, by about 1.30 in the morning, she's yawning and she says, I'm going to close my eyes for a bit. Wake me up when he gets here. And she lays her head back and closes her eyes. Pretty soon she's sleeping. I look over at the bushes and I can't see a thing. I think, they're probably all snoozing too. And I start wondering, what the heck am I going to do when sunup comes and son of Sam never showed? Which is a totally predictable part of the whole deal that I should have thought of and planned for, but no, Mr. Big Mouth Genius didn't think that far ahead. So now, I'm able to stay awake because I'm worried about this. And I'm trying to think of a way out. And I come up with a plan to tell them that son of Sam showed up when everybody but me was asleep and he pulled out his gun and tried to shoot it, but it jammed and he ran off. That way I could blame it on the others for sleeping on the job. But a little after 2 a.m., I see someone. I see him under the streetlights. He's walking toward us. He's wearing a jacket and he's got his hands in his pockets. There's nobody else around. Man, does my heart start to beat hard. My mother's still asleep. There's no motion in the bushes. The guy's heading straight for the car, and he's getting close. Still, no motion from the bushes. And I picture in my mind Hans and Lenny and Plato all leaning against each other, snoring like the Three Stooges. The guy walks up to the driver's side window and starts to pull his hand out of his pocket. Real fast, I reach over and hit the car horn on the steering wheel and give it a big blast. The guy looks straight at me like he's annoyed, but he doesn't run away. Suddenly, bam, he jerks and crumples to the ground. And there's Lenny standing behind him with the baseball bat in his hand. My mother and I get out of the car. Hans and Plato are staggering up from the bushes, and Lenny's sitting on the guy, tying his hands behind his back. My mother snaps at Plato. Well? And Plato says, Oh yeah, payphone, call the cops. And he starts to run off. But Hans says, wait, we have to make sure it's him, Lenny. Check to see if he has a gun. So Lenny feels around and reaches under the guy's jacket, and sure enough, he pulls out a gun. It's him, he says. So Plato tears off to make the call. Hans is looking at me with his mouth wide open like he can't believe what just happened. My mother can hardly contain herself. She's strutting around like someone who knew all along she was the true queen and is finally about to get her crown. Then the guy starts to come too, and he's struggling under Lenny's weight and the ropes around his wrists, and he says something like, Get off me, you big ape! I'm a police officer! Okay, now, this is a line that's not in the script, and nobody's supposed to ad-lib it. And my mother scoffs at him. Sure you are, son of Sam. The real police are on their way. And the guy's yelling at us that we're all under arrest. And Hans is trying to hide his face to make sure the guy can't identify him. And he says, Lenny, see if he has any ID. 
So Lenny reaches into the guy's pocket and pulls out this black leather wallet. And in the wallet, bingo, a police badge. The guy's a plainclothes cop. And we assaulted him and tied him up. Holy smokes. And Han says, everybody in the car. And so we all jump in with Lenny at the wheel. And off we go, leaving the cop in the parking lot with his hands tied behind his back and a goose egg on the back of his head. And then we remember Plato. So Lenny speeds over to the phone booth, but he's not there. Then we spot him jogging back to where the cop is in the park. We honk the horn, and he comes running up and jumps in the car, and back to the apartment we go. And my mother's fuming, and Hans is yelling his, I told you so's, and like, no, I'm going to get it bad if I don't think of something good. And it comes to me, and I yell, how do you know Son of Sam isn't a cop? which is the kind of thing a rational brain has to consider a plausible theory, right? And I say, we just left the son of Sam and any hope that Falco can get credit for catching him back at the park, and it's your fault, Hans. (laughs) And Lenny says, you want I should turn around, Falco? And Falco says, if I really had a lucky charm that was worth a damn, son of Sam wouldn't be a cop. And she glances at Hans, and she says, Let's go home. And in that glance between Falco and Hans, I detected something I hadn't really noticed before. Some shared secret that made them reluctant to deal with the police. Something to hide. I'll never forget. The very next day, the news comes out that son of Sam had been caught. They caught him up in Yonkers, which if you don't know, isn't even a part of the city. It's north of the Bronx. And he wasn't a cop. He was just some pudgy loser named David Berkowitz. And here's something else I'll never, ever, ever forget. My mother was reading one of the tabloids. I can't remember if it was the Daily News or the Post, but of course, the capture of the son of Sam was front page story. Big picture of Berkowitz. And the story began exactly like this. He was born to a woman named Falco. My mother read that opening line. I guess they call it the lead in the news business. Over and over and over again. Like she couldn't believe what she was seeing. Eight words. He was born to a woman named Falco. Over and over again. But the Falco they were writing about was not my mother. Apparently, Berkowitz had been adopted and Berkowitz was his adopted family's name. But his birth mother had the last name of Falco. And my mother's staring daggers at me, like this was all part of my sinister plan, not just to deprive her of her fame, but to mock her and rub her face in it. And everybody else is watching her stare at me. And finally she shakes the paper at me and she says, What's the meaning of this? And I say, I don't know. Ask the Ouija board. And she stands up real fast with a queen of hearts look of fury. But then Laura whimpers in the background and my mother knows just what to do. She walks over to Laura, kneels down, puts her arm around her, kisses her on the cheek. Then she looks at me and says, Do you see what you've done to this poor girl? And then she says, Lenny, Hans, take the boy to the playhouse. Teach him to respect his elders. Try not to leave any marks. I'll stay here and comfort poor Laura. 
To say Lenny was angry with me for hurting his beloved Laura would be a bit of an understatement. It was the worst punishment I ever got, in my childhood or in my life. No broken bones, hardly even a bruise, just a whole lot of pain. It was then that I realized that Hans was not just a sadist, but a skilled one. Well practiced. Who his other victims were, I don't know. Oh, and he filmed it with his little Super 8 movie camera. A naked teenage boy getting tortured, basically. I don't know what happened to that film. Who would watch such a thing anyway? And so today at the nursing home, when my mother stood behind me and said he was born to a woman named Falco, that's what I thought of. Anyway, I'm bushed. This is all kind of stressful for your uh, humble narrator, so I guess I'll turn in, get back to all this forgiveness business in the morning. So I'll sign off for now. This is Oscar Bronx. Please don't forget to check us out at littlewhitecabin.com. Bag yourself a copy of our novels, The Book of Cain and The Relic of Sea Story. Links will take you right over to Amazon. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Wish me luck. Just don't tell me to break a leg, all right? As my old friend Manny Conrad would say, see you in the funny papers. Peace.